If you would, please, turn to Mark's Gospel. Moving on with a very interesting story and narrative. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Listen carefully to the holy, infallible word of God. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we ask that we would see how great our Savior is this morning. How wonderful his grace is poured out. And also, we're so thankful for the faith 
that the Spirit has placed in us. But, O Lord, we ask for that faith to be that which is without doubt and with assurance. We ask, O Lord, your help even in our own daily walk of faith and in Christ's righteousness. In Christ's name, amen. Do you struggle with doubt about your Christian faith? Is doubt an obstacle in your daily thoughts about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? How far does it go? Do you doubt God's existence? Do you doubt your salvation? Perhaps you are convinced that the God of the Bible exists and you believe that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross in fact saves sinners, but you are not sure that you share in such a great salvation. In other words, you are not sure about your own personal salvation. Do you struggle with the assurance of salvation being applied to you? Well, congregation, enter this incredible event and allow the Holy Spirit through the words and actions of Christ to remove doubt from your heart. Take into your heart the serious exhortation of our Heavenly Father's words Listen to him. Listen to my son. Let us hear Mark's infallible testimony to the words and actions of our Savior. And may Christ alone, through his spirit, grant to each of us here this morning the full, the full assurance of saving faith fixed upon trusting and resting upon Christ alone as the blessed gift of eternal life. Although Mark's gospel is the shortest of the four gospels, he is very comprehensive in describing certain events, especially when it involves the issue of faith. The issue of faith. For example, I am sure you remember that he was very descriptive concerning the faith of the woman with the bleeding disorder for 12 years that no one in the medical profession could solve. Plus, in sequence of that narrative in chapter 5, you recall Jesus' response to the faith of Jairus a ruler in the Jewish synagogue, by healing his daughter and raising her from the dead. Yes, Mark is very descriptive when it comes to his narratives about faith. About faith. Furthermore, if you recall 
in the narrative of the bleeding woman and Jairus, Mark does not mention, does not mention the disciples at all. Well, as we enter our story this morning, the disciples are mentioned along with the crowd, the scribes, specifically the nine disciples who did not go up with Jesus on the mountain, a father and his son, and Satan's servant, a demon, a demon. In Mark's only recorded miracle, his only recorded miracle performed upon a human being in the second half of his gospel, Mark is bringing us into the climax, the climax of his narrative on the issue and the importance of faith in Jesus Christ. Where is your faith in Christ going to land this morning? In order to answer this question, we will focus on verses 19 and 24 with the rich consummation in verses 26 and 27. As you can see, Jesus and the three disciples have come down off the mountain and immediately, there's Mark's term, right? That's his word. (laughs) Immediately, Jesus is confronted with a hostile situation. He has returned to the hostile environment of everyday life, of living the life of the church before us as he himself is the embodiment of the good news. What has Jesus just walked into here? He's back into reality. He's back into reality. He's walked into an argument. There's, there's an argument. Of course, none of us ever argue, right? He walks right into an argument. An argument about what? Well, it seems that Jerusalem, it seems that Jerusalem and has sent more scribes to challenge and investigate the ministry of Jesus. It's very interesting. They are so opposed to Jesus that they have sent a delegation into the northern area of dominant Gentile country. Well, these scribes and the disciples are engaged in Quite an argument there in verse 14. The father with a demon-possessed son has obviously come to the disciples to have his son healed and the demon cast out. The disciples were not able to perform the exorcism and the healing of the boy. On the basis of what Mark's gospel has presented so far, it does not take much of an imagination to get the drift of the argument. Let's make it simple. The scribes are claiming that the disciples are fakes. The disciples are charlatans. 
And even more important, they're claiming that Jesus is a fake, that Jesus is a false teacher, that Jesus is a false prophet. Well, Jesus now enters into the argument. Jesus enters into the argument. Notice Mark wants his reader to grasp the impact, the impact of Jesus' presence on the scene. Follow the drama, the crowd. Here comes the word again. The crowd, in terms of Mark's, Mark's gospel, the crowd immediately, not the disciples and the scribes, they're too busy arguing with each other. <laughs> but the crowd immediately saw Jesus and were amazed. Meaning they were positively excited to see Jesus. And they ran into his presence and greeted him. Verse 15. You can sense the anxious thoughts of the crowd. Jesus is here. <laughs> Perhaps he can solve the argument. So Jesus inquires, what are they arguing about? Verse 16. The father of his demon-possessed son speaks up and describes his son's condition. It is precise and a graphic description of his convulsions that resembles what would be witnessed with an epileptic seizure. The demon possesses a, seizes the boy, throws him on the ground, and the boy foams and grinds his teeth and becomes stiffed as if he is paralyzed. Verse 18. It is a terrible, and troubling, terrifying sight to the boy's father. Obviously, the father had knowledge of Jesus' ability to cure people with disorders. So the father says that he brought his son to see Jesus, but Jesus was not present when he arrived, and so the father placed him before the disciples. Verses 17 and 18. But to the father's disappointment, the disciples could not cast out the demon and bring healing to his son. Now comes a crucial verse that Mark wants to draw to your attention. I ask you, in terms of this verse that is about to come before us, do you have ears? Are your eyes and your hearts focused on Jesus and what he is about to say? Jesus responds to the Father, speaking pointedly to everyone present before him. The crowd, the disciples, the scribes, and the Father. O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be 
with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 19. At this point, return for a moment back to chapter 8, verse 38. There Jesus speaks from the state of the final judgment as the Son of Man upon those who are ashamed of Christ and his words, calling out who live being ashamed of him as an adulterous and sinful generation. On the other hand, in our text here in verse 19, he is turning his focus upon the subject of faith. He is addressing the generation that is actually standing before him and the condition of their present hearts. They are a faithless generation. With all they have witnessed concerning Jesus' supernatural acts of redemption and restoration before their own eyes, they remain without faith. And as Jesus has revealed previously to his own disciples, he is not long for this world. He will be killed and rise from the dead. He is going to depart soon. So how much longer must Jesus put up with such faithless lies with those who will not believe? In spite of this very direct language, Jesus pours out his compassion upon the Father's, upon the Father here. And in that case, he says, bring him, bring the boy to me. Verse 19. So the people listen. Listen to Jesus. And bring the boy to Jesus. Verse 20. Bring the boy to the creator of the universe. Bring the boy to the one who has all authority and power in heaven and on earth. Bring the boy who knows how everything within the whole human body functions. Bring the boy to the one who reads the very hearts of humans. Bring the boy to the one who will conquer all sin and death. Every force of evil within the creation. Bring that Boy, to me, Jesus says. Yes. Bring the boy to Jesus and note what happens when the spirit, the demon, that unclean spirit within the boy saw Jesus. Here comes Mark's word again. Notice it in the text. Immediately, immediately, the demon could not speak, who could not hear. This unclean spirit who defiles and rages war against the holiness and righteousness of Christ's person goes into a fit 
within the boy. Convulsion. He rolls on the ground. Foams at the mouth. A very difficult scene, I'm sure, for all the people there in terms of the crowd. What a scene, very difficult scene to witness. Yes, after Jesus finds out that he has been possessed by an unclean spirit and demon since childhood, his father also relates that the demon often casts the boy in fire and into water to destroy him. Verse 21, the father had described the condition of his son to Jesus in verses 17 and 18, and now the demon reacts within the body exactly in the manner his father described as the unclean spirit sees Jesus himself. Verse 20. The boy's condition is clearly evident before Jesus. His father spurts out. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Perhaps the father had heard and seen Jesus' ability to triumph over the frailty of the human body at another time so that he makes this appeal. Your disciples failed. Please, Jesus, if you can do anything, help us. Please let your compassion flow upon us. The father's plea reveals an element of doubt in his voice. Jesus, if you can, if you are able, if it is within your power, the father is not quite sure that Jesus is able to help his son. Jesus' response entails an element of sarcasm. Very interesting phrase there. If you can, (laughs) Jesus' response there, if you can, is basically asking him, Are you serious whether I have the power to take care of the problem of the unclean spirit within your son? That ally of Satan? Do not miss. Do not miss Jesus' further response challenging the father's right right at his heart of doubt. Carefully hear the words of Christ. Are you here this morning listening to God's Son? Christ asks all things. He says to him, excuse me, all things are possible 
for the one who believes. Verse 23. Verse 23. If you are really going to allow the Holy Spirit to impact your soul this morning, you must, congregation, you must start connecting the dots here. Back in verse 19, the Father's inkling of doubt connects him to Christ's admonishment that our Savior is among a faithless generation. The Father is part of a faithless generation. But in the eyes of Jesus, the Father is not alone in terms of this faithless generation. Do not fail to notice that Mark, in Mark's narrative, the 12 disciples, including the ones who had just come down off the mountain with Christ, are included as the faithless generation. But back in 838, the scribes who are present, they are not the faithful, faithless generation. They are the adulterous and sinful generation. Jesus' heart-stomping statement is sobering and directed to all these faithless people. That is, all things are possible for the one who believes You must grasp this to participate in the profound religious response. The profound religious response in the father, in this boy's father. Are you ready to hear how the father responds in this this situation? Here comes the earth-shaking statement by the father that is only found in Mark's gospel. All three synoptic gospels have this story. But only Mark's gospel has the words of this, of the Father, that is appearing here in the text. You're getting the importance of the concept of faith that Mark is talking about in his gospel. Remember, We are at the climax of that in our text. A statement that admits, the Father's statement, admits being faithless and doubt. And at the same time, pleads, pleads with Jesus to overcome this unbelief. Verse 24, the crucial verse. To put his statement before us more literally, in terms of the text, he claims he has faith, but he knows it also includes doubt, the lack of assurance. It also contains unbelief. Doubt still characterizes his faith. Do you see yourself 
Look into your own heart this morning. Do you see yourself in the boy's father? Does his faith characterize your faith? Is it tainted with doubt whether, concerning whether all things are possible for Christ? Whether Christ is the Messiah? Or if I believe in Christ, whether I can be absolutely assured that saving faith belongs to my heart. As Christ's gospel is looking you right in the face this morning. God's providence and will provides the directive for faith that still doubts and lacks assurance. The father pleads, this father pleads with Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That's the verse, that's the statement. Verse 24, that's not found in any other gospel in the New Testament. He wants his unbelief overcome he doubts his doubts overcome his lack of assurance overcome where is he where is he as he makes this request where is he he is before Christ He's right in front of Christ, the sole person who in word and activity overcomes a faith that doubts and lacks of assurance. Several scholars rightly assess here in verse 24 that the Father's statement is a prayer, is a prayer poured out to Christ. As you see in verse 29, don't miss this. As you see in verse 29, the disciples fail to cast out the demon possessing the boy because they failed to accompany it by what? Prayer. Prayer. Oh, yes. Somehow, these disciples have lost what Christ has given them when he sent them out back in chapter 6 into the world. Somehow, they have lost that. And the Greek text there in 9.28 gives us a hint as to why. There's a phrase there in terms of the ESV that sort of is odd in terms of just reading it in isolation. We not cast it out. We not cast it out in verse 28. The verb form here conveys a reliance upon themselves, not Christ. That's a huge problem, isn't it? (laughs) For those in adult Sunday school, we have been hearing a lot about that even today, haven't we? (laughs) Concerning faith. 
concerning thing. Yes. The one here before us, Jesus Christ, is the sole object of our saving faith. Faith totally, absolutely, completely relies and rests upon Christ alone. It comes as gift from our Father in heaven, mediated by a willing Savior to those who ask, confessing their failure of unbelief. The one with unbelief asks Christ to fill the container of unbelief with the gift of saving faith. Truly seek, you will find. Those who ask in this situation will be granted. Christ through his spirit will serve a sincere heart of repentance and faith. That has been Mark's theme constantly in his gospel from the first chapter. Jesus acts this time not behind closed doors, but before this faithless generation, the crowd, by rebuking the demon and casting it out of the boy. But Christ is not done yet with breaking the lack of faith that surrounds him. The boy looks dead. (laughs) And Jesus took the boy by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Verse 26 and 27. I hope you are not missing the obvious connection in this event. Jesus will be killed and rise from the dead. 831. Our own redemption in Christ is a picture of us being dead to sin and alive to the newness of life by virtue of Christ's resurrection. The assurance of faith. The dismissal of doubt in the believer's life is secured by Christ's death and resurrection. Christ's death and resurrection, in which you are now by grace. In him, a participant. Saving faith attaches the believer to the death and resurrection of Christ by the Holy Spirit. All doubt, the lack of assurance, is attacked, as attacked upon the soul and eternal sufficiency of Christ's work of redemption applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Please listen to what we're going to say next. If you are looking into your own heart for the assurance of salvation and the elimination of doubt, you 
are looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place. You need to be looking solely at the cross and the empty tomb. The absolute assurance of salvation united to the heart of faith which casts out all unbelief. That's what you are to put your confidence, your soul confidence in. Is Christ's work solely and sufficiently, eternally sufficient to cast out all doubt and fear about assurance of faith? In your life. Let's ask the Spirit for help. O Spirit of the living God, we ask, O Lord, that you yourself would be that which comes fully into our hearts this morning. For those who have doubt, for those who have the lack of assurance, we ask, O Lord, that you, thy spirit, would point them to the wonderful glory of the death and resurrection of Christ, the assurance of salvation for those who believe and trust and rest upon Christ alone for their salvation. Give that, O Lord. Give that event that casts out doubt that gives us assurance, the fullness of expression in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.